takes it, Brandon, it, it takes what? time for people to like register in. Oh, so let's be still for like 10 seconds. <laughs> and start to move. <laughs> and pretend people. that we haven't seen each other before this started. Yes. Oh, good to see you. How are you? Oh, hey, Brandon. Well, actually, um, Walt, this is actually the, the last time I saw your face was the last one of these. My, my hair is getting longer. It seems like you saw that Obi-Wan uh, like faded you appearance. Cut, you cut your hair by yourself. Well, I showered, so that usually makes it look like you actually cut your hair. But Twice a week, right? <laughs> Only when we do Zoom calls. <laughs> the good news is, uh, Larry and Greg, we can cut out the early parts of this banter. So, Oh, whoops. Sorry. No, Sorry, no, Rich. Okay. Rich, are, uh, we, are we embarrassing you? <laughs> you, you are not. People are filtering in, so I'm I'm totally happy waiting a couple minutes. We are live, but we can wait a minute. Oh, I didn't too. realize we were live. Welcome uh, back to Light Shed Live. We are live. Yeah, Thanks for joining us. All right, Brandon. Let's get the debate started before we head into the into the real stuff. Okay. Debate. Since we have both commissioners, we all know S the SEC's Joe Bur Joe Burrow will be the first pick in the draft. Okay, the two quarterbacks behind me will be the next two quarterbacks taken, presumably. Which one will go first? You want to start on the East Coast? Uh, <laughs> so yeah. Me. Mid you just go with the alphabet. You know, as long as we <laughs> noted we have another quarterback involved in Joe. Uh, we'll go with Tua, clearly. And I think Larry probably has a different perspective. Um, I hear good reports about his recovery, both locally and, and on the national news. So hopefully hopefully that's true. And he was pretty remarkable in his time in Tuscaloosa. So it'll be exciting to see what happens with him in the NFL. And you know, Joe had a magical season. And it'll be fun to watch him carry that forward into his professional experience. Yeah. Uh, good year for quarterbacks. Uh, I can tell you Justin Herbert will uh, score really high, you know, in all the tests the NFL teams do. He's a really solid leader. Um, Campbell Trophy winner this year, which means, you know, highly respected nationally in terms of not just what he's able to do on the field, but uh, off the field. You know, going to be a great leader of a team in the NFL, I'm sure. So now the question of the day, and probably why everyone tuned in, is when will they first step foot on an NFL field? Then we'll go. <laughs> That's a good one, Brandon. The, the beauty is we have we have some time to answer that one, right? Yeah. So we don't have to decide that today. Um, I, I feel confident suggesting it's sooner than uh, college football starting up. We're probably not going too far out on a limb. So uh, that way. <laughs> That'll be, so, in all seriousness, that'll be an early mark for, for us. I mean, we're, right. we're eager to see when the NFL feels that the uh, health and safety of the players uh, and the staff that support the players and the rosters are at the point that they can. So we're, we're hopeful uh, that'll be close to on time. So, look, we have, uh, we have a large crowd assembled. Uh, we're going to kick things off. I'm Rich Greenfield, uh, partner at Lightshed. I'm joined by my two other partners, uh, Walt Pysik, Brandon Ross. We are really excited today to have, uh, I think, the most unique programming we've had uh, on Lightshed Live. We have two different Power Five conference commissioners joining us. We have Greg Sankey from the SEC, Larry Scott from the Pac-12, to talk about kind of the state and future of college athletics, kind of where we are, level set us today, talk about some of the issues. Obviously, there's a lot of unknowns. We, we all know that nobody can answer when sports returns, 
but I thought maybe just as a way of kicking this off, and I'm actually, I should stop myself and say, if you've got questions, we're going to be asking all of the questions, but there's a Q&A box at the bottom. If you have questions you'd like us to ask, please write them into the Q&A box, and we'll try to get to as many questions over the hour that we have the two commissioners with us. But just maybe as a way of starting this off, uh, I'd love each of your perspectives on on sort of how we got to the point we're at, you know, Adam Silver made a pretty definitive statement of shutting down uh, the NBA as soon as uh, the first player tested positive. And in hindsight, that looks like a very smart decision in terms of how swiftly he acted. Uh, you know, it sounds like Duke was the first school to sort of make their statement in terms of shutting down the NCAA tournament. Just wondering from, from your two conferences perspectives, Walk us through exactly what happened and how you came to the decision. Was it, you know, how are decisions made in terms of shutting down college athletics from, from your conferences? I'm happy to go first and we can alternate who responds first each time. You know, it goes back just over a month ago. In fact, we just relived the one month anniversary of, of that week. You know, Larry has, I don't know how he ended up being the convener of the Autonomy Five Commissioners, but that, that week Fourth we ended row. up talking yeah. on the phone. Yeah, you missed you missed the meeting and were appointed the coordinator. But we were on the phone, Larry, I think probably every day that week leading into it and probably multiple times comparing notes. And and I was public saying how much I appreciated the work of, of my colleagues. Um, backing up, January 28th, we had a CNN report about a positive test on one of our campuses. And that's just when things were emerging. So we had a team in our office paying attention um, in our communications area, I went to, to her, Vincent, and said about a week before, two weeks before, you have to develop a press release um, with every scenario from it's great to we're shut down. So we were prepared in advance. But, you know, the day of Wednesday, March 11th, uh, we were talking. I had meetings and the NCAA announces on Wednesday midday that for a tournament that began the next Tuesday, they were closing off access to fans. Well, my doors were opening an hour, I think, after that announcement. And so we made a decision to, to play as we were that day with about 10,000 people at our game and an arena that seats 18. And then the, we were making the announcement of closing to fans, and that night the NBA circumstance happened. I woke up the next morning with the, the clear perspective we weren't going to play. And uh, Larry, I think we were we talked during that day, but we all had to make independent decisions. Ours was made by about 9.30 or 10 a.m. Central Time. Uh, we announced it. I actually tried to go see the two teams that were going to tip off at noon Central, but they had already departed. And uh, by what, the end of day Friday, we had made a decision to stop all activities uh, through mid-April. Um, and, and I know that, and I think Larry was probably in the same spot, we were making decisions without positive tests among student athletes, but we knew the health and safety of our, our players, both at our, at our basketball tournament, our student athletes around the conference and traveling were of utmost importance as information was emerging quickly. And, you know, that's a, a quick scenario or a quick description of what happened. And, and Larry's was probably different, but I appreciated the interaction we shared. Yeah, no, I mean, just a little overlay, um, you know, just to put you in the place we were in. So we're both at our uh, men's basketball tournaments uh, that week. I'm in Las Vegas, Greg's in Nashville, I guess it was. Yeah. And we were having daily calls at that point in time amongst the uh, Power Five commissioners, um, as well as with our own campuses. I was on the phone every day with our athletics directors, yep. uh, regularly with our university presidents. 
Um, you know, we're, we're tracking what's going on on our campuses as our campuses are looking at putting measures in place. But leading into the tournament, you know, I, I remember saying to my team, I think, you know, we're going to get through the tournament. I don't know what happens after that, but I think if we get started, um, you know, everything should be okay. Well, that you know, it was a rapidly escalating series of events and still feels it's that way, that way in some respects. And we're just trying to process the data, collaborate with a lot of people within our own leagues, but also nationally. Uh, the NCA's got groups looking at this stuff. Um, but we went from, it was Tuesday morning, the 10th, to deciding, okay, we're going to play, but after today... Uh, maybe we're not going to be having fans in the crowd. Social distancing recommendations uh, were starting to be made. Um, we then saw, Rich, you had asked the question, um, uh, you know, in the context of the NBA. So it was that night, I think, that the news about Rudy Gobert uh, came down, as Greg said. So the next morning, we're on a call together, and I think we said to ourselves, uh, five commissioners right in the middle of our tournaments, you know, can you imagine – if something like this happened to one of our student athletes uh, right there, we cannot put ourselves in that position. We've got to take the next step. H having already decided we weren't going to allow fans, but we're going to play the games anyway, um, that we went right to uh, shut down the tournament. It was, it was surreal. Very, very tough moment. A lot of heartbreak uh, for our student athletes, coaches, uh, and all that. And I, I did have the opportunity with the Oregon team, who are, were our um, conference championships, spent a little moment with them on the court and kind of celebrate that they were our conference championship, but it was a very somber and surreal moment. Maybe just help us understand how things work. You know, I think there's a lot of confusion out there between president of the United States, governors, mayors, conference commissioners, presidents of universities, athletic directors. How should anyone think about where those decisions get made, actually, even in the CFP college football playoffs, like power five, you know, organizations I should have added in too. like, how, what are the dynamics of just where the decision making sort of starts and, and ends? How, how do you guys even think about all of that? I, well, I'll go first here and Greg yeah. can add to it, you know, Certainly thinking going forward, we really think of it in two frameworks. Uh, the first is, you know, our student athletes going to be able to participate in team activities and competition. You know, will we have college sports? Those decisions really rest with our campuses because, you know, student athletes are students. They're part of a broader community uh, of other students. So they're living in dorms. They're eating in dining halls. Um, you know, they're getting support on campus in different ways. And um, unlike pro sports, I mean, student uh, athletes are not going to be able to participate in activities uh, if students are not safely on campus and there aren't activities going on. So those decisions rest with our campuses individually. And they're influenced, certainly, in the case of public universities, uh, by the governors and the states and other municipalities, as you can imagine. Uh, oftentimes it's collaborative, but you know, uh, every campus makes its own decisions about the health and welfare of its um, uh, student body. Uh, in terms of fans and whether they're going to be allowed in or not, I mean, we've got the ability as, as conferences, uh, working with our athletics director, uh, to make the decisions, but we're driven really by public health officials. And, and in this case, you know, we, we tend to be influenced by our governors and, and mayors uh, and all that. But, you know, uh, a lot, there are a lot of influences involved in that. There's a lot of policies set under that. We try to coordinate 
amongst the conferences and through the NCA. So there's kind of a cohesive approach, but but the buck really stops when it comes to safety of students and whether we could participate or not with the campuses. Is it fair to say that if you don't, if in a given conference, you don't have the willing participation of all the member schools, then that conference isn't going to play at all? Um, well, going forward, uh, I, I expect we'll do things as a conference. So if, if you go back to the, the, the previous question, we made decisions as a conference. Larry describes right where responsibility is assigned and, and what, what, what's not seen is the amount of care that's provided by our campuses for their team. So as I spoke with coaches, they were taking temperatures. They were fully attentive to their, their team's well-being. Um, and then our decision-making at a conference level will impact our institutions. It's a, it's a chosen governance, but one that's agreed upon as part of a conference. And so our, our, our culture has been, is, and I think will remain healthy so that we're going to be in a collective decision-making mode. But what is the, going back to the, you're saying governor and mayor, where does the, let's assume that everyone's back to school, but there's still social distancing concerns in terms of large group um, gatherings. Who has the ultimate government authority? Can a mayor say, as they did in LA, that there will be no group um, or there will be no groups in our city if the governor of California is basically saying, no, that's okay? Like, who's, who's the government authority on, on whether these, the, you know, games or concerts or anything that can happen? I'm well, not our really sure I can answer. Yeah. I mean, every, every area might be a little different. Um, what we've experienced through this is really shared governance. There's collaboration. In fact, recently you may have seen you know, Western states, governors, um, California, Washington, Oregon, Oregon announced an alliance to focus on return to work, return to normalcy in a coordinated uh, fashion. So I think there's a lot of collaboration also certainly with the, with the federal government. I think uh, today there was a call of governors uh, with the White House to discuss these types of things. So look, it's in everyone's interest for it to be done coordinated and there not to be turf battles. And so far I've seen it, you know, I've seen it work that way. But going back to your earlier statement, Larry, you, you made it clear, I think that if students aren't back, if students aren't back in school, then you're not having sports in those schools. That's kind of a, an assumption in all of this, right? Correct. I think one of the important words in the last few questions is the word if. So I suggested to some TV folks, we should start in this shutdown, just a TV series that begins with the word if, and we can dump it all <laughs> into one place and we can fill it up because and we've seen things like uh, we're going to play football next June. We're going to kick off this July and everything in between. And if you go back to inform the decision-making, like all of us in March leading up to our tournaments, were in conversation. So we had the ability to communicate with a, uh, Member of the CDC um, in Atlanta, we were in communication with the Metro Nashville public health officials, and we were going to follow those guidance, and we had, had made that very public. Our universities are going to follow public health guidance on their campuses. Now, what plays forward, the great news is I was on with uh, a faculty member who's a biostatistician, and I did not know such people existed until the last 30 days, <laughs> who said, you know what, think about where we were 30 days ago, what you knew yep. then. And think yeah. forward 30 days and what you'll know at that point. It, it will be exponentially greater. 
And the final piece of advice is for major decisions, wait as long as you can to make that decision because you're going to gather more and more information as we go. And, and, and for me, I'm still focused on preparing to play football in the fall as scheduled, volleyball, soccer. But I can't answer that question right now. I need to be prepared for that uh, opportunity. I need to provide that opportunity. I want my student athletes around this league and, and I think everyone to understand that that hope is there because this is a time. It's not forever. We're going to have to deal with it. We're going to learn more and that's going to guide our decision making just as it did in the, the immediate circumstances in mid-March as we ended up stopping the, the basketball tournaments and all of our spring sports. It is amazing, Greg, how how people can think with certainty what's going to happen in September or in October when we've seen so much change over the past 30 days. I agree with you there. Um, Larry, I want to go back to also to one of your comments about this kind of awakening moment um, in terms of, you know, when a player was was sick. So we all know that football obviously generates the vast majority of the revenue for the program and funds a lot more of these programs. So I can envision a scenario where you can test the football players that theoretically generate the revenue. But how does that work within the individual universities? Because, you know, if you put football out there, if you have all these other fall sports, can you have football there to help fund those sports existence, but at the same time, not also be testing those athletes so that they can compete in their respective sports? Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't anticipate uh, people thinking that way. Um, these decisions will be made uh, by our campuses, you know, coordinated with the conference uh, in a much more holistic and broad way. You know, can we test social distance and provide safety for students to be back on, on campus, including uh, student athletes? And um, I don't see a scenario where we say, well, well, football, because it generates revenue, is going to be allowed to start practicing competing. Well, I wouldn't phrase it that way. It funds so many other programs at the schools, but it's just it's an not, all or none type of It's not the culture. It's not the values aren't oriented that Understood. way uh, on our campuses. Um, I think if, if, if we're starting fall sports and all likelihood it's going to be for all fall sports. I mean, every, every sport's got its own slightly different calendar and rules and all that. But I think, you know, the, the health and safety and welfare of the students and student athletes is going to be paramount in any of these decisions. And I think if it gets to the point where football players can come back to the training camp and come back um, you know, and start uh, practicing and getting ready for the season, it will only be if, if it's safe for students to be back on campus and the, uh, soccer players and the volleyball players and and the swimmers to be there as well. If I can add, if I can add, go ahead, go ahead. you saw that play out in real time in March. So we did, and, and I think Larry and the Pac-12 were probably in the same position. As we're making a decision on a basketball tournament, we also know we're making a decision about baseball, softball, tennis, golf, track, yeah. and field. So you you have a, a real life example of of what Larry just described. I want to go back to what Larry said at the beginning. We've got a question that's come in. Your assumption, I assume, is that uh, an NFL season is going to happen in the fall or at least try to happen in the fall without fans. Is that what your sort of um, best guesstimate is right now? Yeah, well, I'd say any guesstimate is a little bit hazardous at the moment, but um, I'd say it this way. I mean, if you key off of statements that have been made just in the last 24 hours, I mean, this is how rapidly the data is coming in. I think we heard Dr. Fauci uh, suggest that there's no reason 
that sports won't be able to start up this summer, but without fans. Uh, And in the same day, you heard the mayor of Los Angeles and Governor Newsom in California and plenty of others basically say, um, but we're not going to have fans, you know, uh, for the better part of 2020, at least, or until there's a vaccine, you've heard different things. So if you key off our, you know, most respected and trusted public health officials, and I think that's what you can extrapolate from what they're saying, I think we're all hopeful and optimistic uh, not only that the NFL will be able to play, but that fans will, you know, that the testing and therapeutics. I mean, we, we got some very encouraging yep. updates yesterday from the vice president. And, you know, we've got epidemiologists and immunologists on our campuses at UCLA and Washington and Cal and Stanford and plenty of other schools that you see on the nightly news that we're getting information from. And there are some more optimistic um, scenarios being painted out there, but um, you know we don't want to get over our skis or, or out in front of it. So that comment, Rich, was really based on just what you know we've heard in the last 24 hours. So I'd say at this point in time, yeah, I think that's a probably as a reasonable assumption. But you know we're in the um, I think the NFL is probably there as well. You know we don't really have to decide now. We we feel like we've got six to eight weeks probably at least before we have to indicate to our you know our campuses, coaches, student athletes uh, that it's time to get back to campus and start acclimatization, uh, training camp uh, to get ready to be able to start the season on time. And we will just know a ton more between now and then. So, you know, the pro sports, we've heard, obviously, many different things. You know, we're talking about MLB, Major League Baseball in Arizona in July and August uh, outside, which, you know, sounds crazy temperature-wise, but, you know, it's dry heat, I guess, is what they say. But, but you know, the, the concept is at least pro sports can move to neutral venues. If New York State is closed, the Mets can play someplace else, or the New York Giants theoretically could play someplace else for – for football if New York was simply not available or LA is just not comfortable enough. The challenge with college football, obviously, is I, you know, based on your comments that kids have to be on campus for there to be, or students have to be on campus for there to be college sports, alternative venues is not going to be an option for college sports. I assume that's stating the obvious. Well, I think fundamentally um, the communication you saw yesterday about the reality and people debate this, but it's real and we can communicate it over and over. Our athletic programs are a part of our campus. So on my 14 campuses, all of those games are played either on or adjacent to our campuses. Uh, we have some neutral site games. Uh, we've had weather situations where games have been moved, but, but the, the central issue is going to be that campuses are, are in some way operational. Maybe a new normal that guides us, but the the exclusion of of our games and moving them elsewhere that's not something I've I've contemplated, and doesn't seem to to be what constitutes college football. And you have to move all the sports, wouldn't you, Rich? I mean, again, getting back to the earlier question, it's not about just moving the football games; it's moving everything. It's a logistics nightmare. It sounds like, but I, I guess. So if you go back to Larry's point of we've got a few weeks or we've got six or eight weeks to make these types of decisions, one of the questions we keep getting is how many weeks do you really – first of all, I guess, what, what would your student athletes – like when would they actually be reporting to campus and starting their – like whatever their routine is, when does that start? And then if you had to condense it, how much time to be safe and not get players hurt or risk injuries, what do you need in order to get ready for a football season, let alone – other sports and, and all of that? 
So well, Greg and I were on a call yesterday yeah. with our football experts talking about just this question. I mean, each of our each of our conferences has our own task force and working groups uh, that involves coaches, athletics directors, heads of football operations, uh, sports science, and, and docs uh, and researchers that's been diving into this issue. Uh, you know, normally uh, you you know you'd have a training camp with the student athletes kind of getting to training camp already in decent shape. They might have been in summer school, uh, but had the spring. In this case, our student athletes have not been on campus in spring. Uh, not put aside the fact that they haven't been able to be in team meetings and uh, working with their coaches, but they haven't been able to do the strength and conditioning. And by the time student athletes get get back to campus, you know, one of the um, you know things you want to be empathetic about is not all student athletes are in the same situation at home or are able to train. And, you know, most don't have anywhere near the type of support that they get on our campuses with coaches, nutrition, put aside academically, uh, but conditioning, training, all that. So, you know, I think there's a concern, a realistic concern. Student athletes are going to be coming, you know, uh, come back in different kinds of shapes. So there's, there's a concept that on top of the normal training camp, they'll need to be in acclimatization period to make sure that it's healthy to kind of ramp ramp up. And um, I, I think we're still working through between the conferences the process started yesterday. You know, you're looking at, I mean, there are ranges, you know, anywhere between kind of four and eight weeks are the bookends to get ready right now, depending on the model uh, you like. But over the next week or two, I think, Greg, wouldn't you say that's one of the more um, high priority items yeah. we're going to be working on collaboratively with a group called the football oversight committee through the NCA to try to develop a model that we all try to adhere to. And the reality for us that we kind of jumped from that mid March experience to what's the stadium going to look like in the fall. But to Larry's point, and this is really important. Our student athletes, be they basketball players, track and field athletes, they lost their foundation in, in just a matter of hours. They went from knowing their class schedule, knowing their practice schedule, every day walking into a locker room to all of a sudden we sent them home. And so one of our, our points of concern has been the connection, the mental, mental health, how do they receive academic support, even uh, to a certain extent, what's the right nutritional support that's provided, the right communication. And, and we've altered those approaches nat nationally and at the conference level. So if you wonder, wow, where have they been spending all their time? You know, triage is probably not the right term, but reacting and caring. So practice went to the wayside, games went to the wayside, ticket sales went to the wayside, I think properly so. And, and the engagement that Larry described is now real for all of us. And as things have moved to the top of the agenda, it's always been about the health uh, and safety around our events, particularly our student athletes. We've we had issues around what do you deal with academics? We had issues around eligibility extension that was a, uh, a significant debate. And, and now we've got to engage in how do we return? And we're all generally stopped. Uh, I think both the PAC-12 and the SEC, we've stopped all athletic activities on campus through May 31st. That doesn't mean June 1st, the light switches are all on because we've got to uh, watch what happens publicly and around our campuses. But as he described, we're in that work. And at some point in this summer, what we need to see is a return to activity. So you can get back to, to strength and conditioning, flexibility, musculoskeletal, cardiovascular preparation, and then transition into the football specific preparation. So just to come back to, oh, sorry, go ahead, Brandon. 
can we, can we talk a little bit about the ramifications if there is no football? We alluded to kind of the financial ramifications that would exist earlier. Would there be a, uh, a lack of funding um, at some universities um, if, if there is no major sports, number one? And number two, in terms of scholarships um, going forward um, for, for some of the athletes, those would be protected, I assume. Yeah. You want, you want to go first, uh, well, yeah, well, I'm incredibly careful about hypotheticals. So as I said earlier, that TV series labeled if, you know, lost worked, uh, there's all kinds of, of one word names. So we're talking about if, and, and I haven't worked to that scenario. So I think USA Today had a pretty good analysis of financial impacts. Steve Berkowitz prepared. I actually, when I'm asked these questions, I say to the person who asked me, think about where we are. Uh, culturally, uh, economically, in this society, if the answer to that question is we have to deal with that hypothetical. And, and I actually think those are the bigger questions. And, and, and the, the, the even bigger question is what our universities look like if we're in a setting where there's, we're not able to do things, revenue doesn't flow. Uh, those are appropriate contingencies at some point, but are not front and center at my plate. And, and my goal is to avoid disruption but I'm not going to determine that. The circumstances around the virus will. If we're disrupted in another significant way uh, next year, there's obviously significant economic impacts. I think there are incredible uh, mental wellness impacts on people, uh, both participants, those of us working who are adjusting to this, this new normal. So I'm, I'm really careful about running down to that, that set of issues right now because I think those are out there. And, and what we need is to pay attention to the public health advice and see the kind of therapeutics, the diagnostics and testing develop so that we can get through this, this particular time. So yeah, we're, to, Brandon, you know, we're going to focus on, um, you know, um, all different types of scenarios to avoid that coming to pass. Obviously, as Greg said, the, the, the data and the decisions by uh, higher authorities are going to dictate what we can do. But, you know, we've been laser focused on what would it take for a safe uh, start at the normal time to the football season. But uh, we've also started work within our own league and amongst us on, uh, you know, delayed start scenarios, time shifted seasons, seasons that might start but have to stop again. People have talked about spring uh, football and, you know, we're, we're going to exhaust every option. Uh, and analyze it because, um, you know, the importance of college football to and college sports in general to our universities and beyond to our communities. Uh, many of our universities are in, you know, small towns where the biggest employer, um, it's certainly a very important part of the culture um, in our places. And, you know, we feel we've got an obligation to try to, you know, uh, in whatever form it can take place uh, for college sports and college football in particular to happen. So we're going to be nimble, flexible, you know, during these times you kind of, you know, you have some out of the box thoughts and you consider things you might not have thought about otherwise. And, uh, you know, try to lean into uh, innovation and in, co in college sports that has to be done through collaboration as well with your peer conferences and the NCA. So, uh, so that's what we're focused on. I think we're, we're a long way away from, I think, having to confront uh, the extreme hypothetical you put out there, but um, we'll, we'll cross that bridge uh, if we have to. So I'll be the guy to take it back to the dollars, um, which is, this is obviously gonna be a, have a big impact on the universities if things get delayed. 
um, and have hit a lot of programs and local economies. Is there any sense of asking the federal government for um, some type of relief or even states? I mean, this, it's impacting the local communities at the states. If schools are forced to shut down other programs um, at the school because the college football season is not there to fund it, it, it there's obviously a major ripple impact. So just curious in their thoughts on, on where the government is on, on aid um, for the universities for this. Yeah, this, this may be another example of where, you know, in some of these um, points of differentiation sometimes get lost between pro sports and college sports. You know, college sports is part of a much, much bigger higher education ecosystem. Yep. Um, and, you know, this crisis, this pandemic, this crisis is, you know, a major financial crisis for our universities, uh, the impact on tuitions and foreign students and, um, you know, not having students on campus and um, other support, um, you know, the donor support that's so vital to our universities. There are going to be some significant financial consequences to our universities writ large as a result of this. And while college sports is very important and, um, you know, it's a big enterprise, it's relatively small in the total scheme of things, when you think about the economy of a university and what goes on in their town. So I think those issues are going to be largely dealt with by the leadership of our campuses, state systems, and governments. And I don't envision us looking at the economic consequences um, on athletics departments and college sports in isolation. You know, I, I was talking to a couple of athletic directors over the last few days, not in your conferences, but sort of the comment that got made to me was, we just need to get football in. I don't care if it's February to June, but like football needs to get played because we need football to be played. It funds not just the larger university, but it funds basically all of our athletic programs. And so, you know, if push comes to shove, we'll, the last thing we'll do is cancel. We'll push, push, push and postpone and hope to get it in. Um, I guess one, I know you don't like hypotheticals, but, you know, is that, does that make sense or does that ring true, you know, kind of from a high level for both of you? And I guess where are your, uh, you know, both of you obviously have very different TV partnerships and structures, but I would assume a big part of this is also tied to how do your media partners handle and, and how does that kind of, how do you sync up with media partners if you're even considering the concept of what's possible in terms of moving the season? Yeah, I'm grateful that my my view of hypotheticals has been successfully communicated today. Yes. Um, so so with that caveat, yet again, um, there are a lot of filters that you have to get through to just get to that statement about football. And, and I'll, I'll restate them. Our universities need to get back to, to some uh, normal operation. That then launches off. And I was going to say, and Larry said it more articulately, probably the two least qualified people to talk about our, our bigger universities need for government interaction would be uh, two commissioners. I know we have, I think, eight medical centers where elective surgeries have changed. Um, and so the economics of university hospital centers are very different today than they were two months ago. You know, those complexities are present on our campus and go well beyond sports. Is it important for us to have football? Absolutely. I think everybody associated with college athletics would say so. I think it's important for us to communicate 
our, our focus on playing. I think our, our teams, our, our student athletes, the young people around our programs need to hear that that's our, our work focus. That's, that's our message. And then we get into the what ifs. And, and just like Larry described, I've said to a segment of our staff first, go theorize, go hypothesize about what might be needed. Like we have to be careful about that messaging, particularly in leadership roles. We want to say we're attentive, but I don't want to want to over predict. I've been very careful either not to under predict or to over predict what's going to happen or under represent what is happening from a public health and safety standpoint. So, so maybe the, there's the notion of football is going to be based on what's happening culturally. It's going to be happening health wise. It's going to be be around what happens on our campuses. Is there a definition of what a football season at a minimum actually is? I mean, is there a certain number of games, conference games, in order to A, have a your conference, your, have your teams have a what is a technical legal season, but then also for the CFP, is there a certain number of games that you just have to get to before that it can be a valid season? Like, are there rules to that effect? Well, yeah. sitting here today, it's 12. Right. So that, that's that's my mindset. And I'm going to work okay. towards that until I can't. And when I have to answer that question, I will. So currently there, but it, you know, Richard brings up another interesting uh, point. You know, we've all got our own conferences, um, but typically, you know, there's a non-conference season um, and then there's a conference season. And, you know, there are some exceptions to when those uh, games take place. Uh, but we're all part of a system that leads to a college football playoff. Greg and I are on the managing board of that. And, um, uh, you know, as a result, we need to have alignment and agreement about um, the course over which this race will be won. Um, so it's certainly possible if we have to, um, that we can amend the current uh, format and requirements. Um, but if we do so, it'll have to be done collaboratively and have to be done within a context of how the season would end as well. What would the playoff look like? When will it take place? Greg, you had you had mentioned um, you had mentioned the um, I'm blanking on the There's like 20 questions. I was blanking on the question. You had mentioned, I think about um, uh, Brandon. Why don't you take over? Sorry, brain failure. I have that effect on people. <laughs> um, can you talk maybe um, a little bit about? Um, uh, get, kind of getting away from the COVID subject a little bit because we've spent, I don't know, two, thir two thirds of this on COVID. Maybe talk about in another topic um, that people are interested in right now, which is sports betting and how you guys see um, sort of this rise to popularity of sports betting and um, affecting um, the college game and whether you guys are in favor or not in favor of. It's a high, highly charged uh, topic. Um, uh, yeah, we uh, certainly prefer, you know, a federal, federal approach as opposed to state by state that has created, you know, some challenges um, and, you know, more to monitor. Um, you know, our, our concerns first and foremost or focus um, is really about the integrity of the competition. Um, there are real unique concerns um, in college sports when, you know, we've got 7,000 student athletes in our conference across 24 different sports. In my prior life before uh, college sports, I was in um, pro tennis and prop betting. 
um, I think prop betting in tennis. Tennis is the leading sport globally for prop betting. You know, whether you're going to make a first serve or not, double fault, who's going to win the first set. Sounds awesome. It's not just the um, um, high profile, most watched sports that attract the most betting. So I think it'd be wrong to think about the impact of betting just on football or just on men's basketball. So, you know, Greg and I are responsible for a broad portfolio of sports with thousands and thousands of student athletes uh, who are not, not just are they amateurs and they're students, but they're on campus. uh, They're living in dorms with other students, their classes with other students um, and uh, kind of protecting the integrity of the sport, protecting uh, them are where the concerns go uh, first and foremost. Um, You know, like I think you all have commented on, I've seen and heard, I think, you know, for fans love it, I think it's going to create more stickiness, more engagement. Uh, It's going to be complimentary and help TV um, and help interest in college sports, where there's already a very high passion factor and passion meter. Um, You know, I think uh, I think it's been proven that the ability to bet on something is going to create even more stickiness and and depth and following. And, um, you know, it'll have all those, um, uh, I guess, benefits in a sense for sport. But those are overshadowed for us by the concerns of protecting the credibility and the integrity of the competition. You've got the earliest media rights deal up that would benefit from it though, I think, Larry. Um, yeah, well, I think others are coming up. I think Greg's uh, discussing a rights deal now. The Big Ten's got one coming up, but uh, yeah, certainly, again, I'm, I'm dialing back. I, I had a chance, you know, in tennis, particularly in Europe where this was legal earlier, I saw the value of data. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, betting uh, rise to almost equal value to the traditional value of the video rights around some uh, some tennis events. So, uh, you know, no doubt it could be a factor. But we've seen the NBA and, and others, uh, other pro leagues in the U.S. start to look at commercial arrangements. I mean, this is an area where college sports is not going to be an early mover. Um, and we, no, we've but, got, but, but it is the second most bet on sport. Like when you talk to DraftKings and FanDuel, I mean, you're the number two bet on sport right now. So it is, it is a big deal whether or not it's, you know, it, that people are doing lots of it, I guess, is the, um, the fundamental yeah, issue. No, and that doesn't come as a surprise. I think, uh, you know, we do a lot in Las Vegas. Yeah. Uh, got great partners there. I think the uh, two weekends of March Madness, along with the Super Bowl, are the biggest weekends there and you know because the passion meter is so high and there's a lot of content so i you know i think our challenge is how to uh, figure out a way to you know bring responsibility and uh, you know guideposts around it and uh, but there's no doubt that the data and information is going to be an important part of media rights going forward um, you know we haven't figured out how to best manage that yet but um up till now you know to answer your question our bigger focus you know has been on some of the integrity issues And if I can just follow, the reality is it's not as if sports gambling is new and all of a sudden we're dealing with it. It's existed. At least I've been told it's existed. And it's the emergence, the the more widespread emergence of legalized sports gambling. And it speaks right to the integrity issues. And you begin with the responsibility right now under a state-by-state model for states to oversee and enforce uh, the laws and the regulatory structure appropriately. I think that's the first step around integrity. And there are opportunities with the availability of information and data to enhance that oversight, but it has to be funded and people have to be assigned that responsibility. Larry speaks to prop bets. 
and I'll just be direct, I think it is a mistake culturally for us to be placing prop bets on whether a 19-year-old is successful on a free throw or not. I, I think we saw there's a, a Baylor circumstance where that became a public display of social media over a missed free throw. And that, I don't think, was a prop bet. That was a game. We're now going into the mental wellness issues. And I've talked to PGA golfers who deal with the pressure coming from European-related sports gambling to them on a PGA Tour event um, and the crush. And they're in their mid-30s, highly successful. You know, their future is set. And you transfer that to a 19- or 20-year-old dealing with those realities. Those are real social issues that can't just get pushed to the side around, oh, the fun of, of sports betting, and it's all good. On the other side, you know, we just experienced with our – with our primary rights package, I think the best uh, ratings last season that we've seen in 20 plus years. And we had games that hit 30 year highs and 30 years ago in the television industry was like ancient history. And, and so it's not simply sports gambling. I think it's the interest around the game. I think it's the way we've all collectively positioned ourselves with a national championship that has meaning. I, I hope that we as a conference have done well in presenting what we do our campuses have done that well. So I don't divorce this, the, the sports gambling impact on interest, but I also think we have to be honest about the real social impacts that can emanate from this expansion, the potential lack of oversight, but in particular, the pressures on young people who, who likely are not equipped to deal with all of the, of the circumstances around the, the pressures beyond what we normally see, just, just relating to championships and wins and losses. You know, I think we all sort of agree, uh, I'm guessing from this conversation, that there's probably a high likelihood that there won't be fans in stadiums, assuming you guys can get games back on in the NFL and NBA. How are colleges thinking about, or either of your conferences thinking about, using technology to sort of recreate some of that fan experience? I mean, you, you look at what we're doing right now. We've got, you know, lots of people watching this conversation. Uh, I'm doing virtual happy hours with friends. Uh, you know, ha have you thought what do you drink rich during the happy hour what's uh, your cocktail of choice cocktail of choice is generally uh, a beer negro mandala uh, okay. is my favorite but nice. uh, you know i mean it, whatever it doesn't really matter um i know yours is a scotch I, we are well bourbon. versed Come on. In bourbon. Bourbon. Sorry, bourbon every i don't know it probably depends on the day but, uh, this is we're talking college it's sports. a nice sunny day today so gene this is definitely a gnt day not in the uh, college stadiums though Maybe outside. <laughs> where, I was, where I was going was, you know, have you thought about how to use technology? I mean, you think about Twitch and eSports and everything that's kind of going on right now. Like, how do you use digital and all these video, other video partnerships that can sort of recreate some of that communal experience that I'm sure is going to be lacking from your student bodies and, and all of the fans that show up in your parking lots to tailgate? And I, I mean, I just can't even imagine college sports without that, you know, kind of fan experience. You know, the, the, the beginning of the question I lost, so I think the premise was not having fans in the stadium. So Correct. Like if, we, if we're yeah. not going to have fans in stadiums, how do we sort of use technology like we're doing right now? Is it possible versus just a pure broadcast on TV? Is it possible that we have YouTube or Facebook or some of these partnerships working with you and your media partners to create more of an interactive communal experience well i'm, I'm going to push the underlying premise aside because i don't accept that that's the circumstance we'll see at this point okay. it's april 16th 
Um, we've got I hope four you're plus right. months. Yeah, I, so do I. And and I'm not going to be, as I said, able to tell you right now that direction. So I think, but I want to be intentional. Yep. So I like to make news in certain circumstances, other circumstances I don't. So I don't, don't want to make any news. But that reality, I think, is probably something Larry and I have been working on over time. And for us, we've got TV contracts that go back to 2008, and the world's very different now. And, and a lot of those digital rights for us, or those interactive opportunities, are a part of, of those rights. Now, there's the simple reality we see now, telephones and iPads and the access there. But how do you create more interaction with clips? How can those be used more intentionally? Are, are there other ways to fragment um, a, a broadcast? And, and that reality for us is going to be tied into our overall broadcast rights. But it is something that's been on our mind as a conference office for for actually years, not associated with this. Although I think as we ask questions of what do we look on the other side, we're going to look different. And do those interactive opportunities uh, uh, mean more and more? And are they going to be dealt with more quickly than we would have envisioned six months ago? I think that that likelihood is high. Yeah, and I'd, I'd make the following general uh, comment. Yeah, I think we've all been you know, amazed at the pace of change in media, technology, fan behavior, uh, and all that. I've got a sense that this crisis you know, is going to create an opportunity to innovate create value and, and drive change at an even faster pace. I think we're going to come out of this with people. I know, I know we're doing it in our own league. We're collaborating with our peers in ways we've never done before. And I think the challenges are going, going to push people to experiment and to try things and to uh, take some risks. And so I think we're going to come out of this with new and different ways to consume sports um, further faster than we would have otherwise uh, not just in terms of what our, our schools come up with and our digital partners, but as Greg mentioned, we've got partners like ESPN, Fox, CBS, all kinds of distributors uh, that are going to be testing and experimenting with other sports. We're the beneficiaries of that. So, you know, no one would have wished this crisis on anyone, but I think sometimes crisis does create opportunity to lean in and be willing to take chances and try some things that you wouldn't have otherwise. And a big, you know, big issue around that's access, you know, there's always a, a lot of resistance, you know, to access, but we, you know, if, uh, this is as far as I'll go on the if hypothetical, I mean, if we don't have the kind of access for fans that they're used to, we, we're going to push the envelope and try some things that otherwise we wouldn't have tried to try to keep our fans uh, engaged and be able to follow the programs and the athletes that they love. Larry, on a, on a recent Light Shed Live, Mark Cuban talked about this, that sports is going to come back stronger than ever. I mean, I'm like dying and watching Eagle replays and things like that. Is this an opportunity for the Pac-12 to maybe expand, you know, the Pac-12 network, excuse me, ex expand the number of carriers that have it to expand the revenue that you can that you can generate beyond, I guess, some of the West Coast um, service providers that are carrying that network? Where, where, do you, where do you stand on that? And is this potentially an opportunity to, to grow that business or to grow that network? Well, I guess I think about it more broadly. I do think that this crisis, unfortunately, is, uh, you know, reminding people how important college sports sure. is. To I mean, people are, people are missing it. I think when we are able to come back and play, hopefully on time, there is a level of passion and fervor and, you know, kind of euphoria around that in sense of uh, communal celebration, which is, you know, 
uh, college sports is unrivaled for that. People coming together around their alma mater or in their communities to celebrate uh, together. It's uniquely American, and I think people are going to be ready to celebrate the big. I wouldn't be surprised if we have the you know, biggest ratings and audiences we've ever had when we when we come back. Despite the concerns people will have about social distancing and all that, I think there'll be a pent up appreciation for that. And I think the, you know premium sports, the the most successful, most appreciated. You know, I, I think, uh, you know, we'll, I guess I share Mark's view, will emerge even strong. I'm not sure that's true for every sport, uh, top to bottom. Some may not survive and others may suffer as a result of this. But I think the strongest sports, uh, like college sports and college football, uh, will. I mean, vis-a-vis -vis the, um, uh, the network, I mean, we are, um, you know, we think about this pace of, the pace of change. Um, you know, we are owning and controlling our own rights. I mean, I'm not sure what's going to happen to the cable and satellite ecosystem uh, as a result of this crisis and whether uh, it's somehow going to stabilize some of the declines we've and fragmentation. But our views have very much been that there's going to be a lot of new players uh, coming in, new forms of distribution. And we want the chance when our rights come up in 24 to take a step back with all of our rights, the rights that are currently licensed to ESPN and Fox and the rights that we currently package through our own network and sell directly to distributors. We want to take a step back. We think, well, different business models have emerged. You mentioned Twitch. Uh, you mentioned, you know, the Fang uh, companies that are out there. You know, we're out here on the West Coast, regularly talking to Amazon, Apple, Google, um, that are all, you know, uh, looking at these things. We, th there are different business models that have emerged since we did our last deal, uh, direct-to-consumer models. And um, we think even between now and 2024, it, it's almost like this crisis. We don't get too far ahead of ourselves because if you're trying to make predictions based on the data today, we know it's going to be different a few weeks from now when it comes to dealing with this crisis. When it comes to our media rights, you know, it's going to be very different a year from now. Two years. But I assume in order to get your media rights, you need to have games played. I mean, I assume there's no scenario where media rights get paid where games don't, or seasons don't happen. I, that's, I assume, simplistic and obvious, or am I misthinking just that basic fact? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a good basic fact. I mean, you, you guys know enough to know there are force majeure provisions and all yeah. these other things. And uh, lawyers get paid a lot to uh, put those protections in there. But yeah, yeah, we, we can go with that basic assumption. Okay. And then from an ESPN standpoint, I, I guess just how, how is there anything different in terms of just how ESPN for the SEC network is thinking about this, Greg? Well, that's uh, we're here in a reality now and our thinking goes back from its formation and how do we deliver, how do we reach, how do we maintain connection? So if you go back to fundamentals and say big brands are always going to have an opportunity to thrive, I think the way we position the SEC as a brand, if you will. Uh, the success we've had, uh, the ability to reach people directly and to do it through multiple platforms is, is a tribute to this relationship. Now, we're dealing still, I think, in the crisis mode of, wow, we don't have anything. And if you go back to uh, the, the original question, we have a team in our office charged with thinking about how do we celebrate the return? And that, uh, that effort would interact with our broadcast partners. Uh, that's not about technology, Rich, but that's about the direct opportunity emanating from Mark Cuban's comments that when I when we come back, I think that's a point of celebration to the extent we're, we're in a healthy situation and able to celebrate in an appropriate way. Celebrate USC Alabama. That'd that's be one. Celebrate yeah, the that's, return. 
That's uh, that was on the that's on the schedule in ink actually for me, um, and hopefully it'll stay that way. <laughs> yep, Greg, first week in September, I, correct? We're planning to be there. We're planning to see each other on the field. Larry, can USC put up a good battle against the powerhouse? Uh, I I think they can. They've got uh, great athletes. Um, there's certainly a sense of urgency with the program, and they they feel like they've got a lot to prove. So I know they've had that that one circled for some time, but. Alabama is a formidable foe, as we as we know and we've seen. So it's a tough task. Rich, I'd, if you had, didn't have a question, I'd want to go back to some of the, um, you know, when are we going to be ready type of thing? Because I think, Greg, you had mentioned way to the last minute. Is there a deadline? And, and can, when you say like on or off, I know you want to wait as long as possible. And then can't effectively one university just kind of, I'm going to say, maybe call it for everyone, right? If one university says, hey, look, our kids are not coming back this fall, that's our decision. Doesn't that just effectively wipe it out for the entire conference? Well, if we go back to the, the, the first part of the question, the, the time frame, and I think Larry described it well, depending on who you talk to, you're talking about a window of four to eight weeks leading up to the season. I tend towards the middle and, and the back end, you know, about six to eight, maybe five weeks is enough time. And it's dependent on the, the preparation opportunities that lead in. And we make assumptions, and I think we have to be careful about that. You may be able to, to gather up, but not in big groups. People can work out, and my CrossFit gym can reopen, and I can get back after it with the appropriate precautions at some point um, instead of having to do workouts by Zoom. Um, so uh, those, uh, those decisions in that window will be guided by what can we do. And you look to, at least for me, June 1st and say, when do we have to make decisions there? Uh, it's not like July 15th, you can make a decision and flip on the lights. I, I kind of referenced this earlier. You've got to have a lead up time. So as we get into June, um, that's going to be a time for really important decisions. And as I cited earlier, we're going to learn a lot in the next 30 days. There's actually, you know, really two 30-day windows. We've got 60 or so days, maybe a little bit more, depending on who you talk to, maybe a little bit less to, to make that type of decision. And it's anchored on that preparation opportunity we discussed. I assume, though, you know, it, uh, actually, I shouldn't assume anything. I, I, the whole word of yeah. this is ridiculous. Well, I assumed we were going to play a basketball uh, tournament I, in Nashville and see uh, how that yeah. out. So. The, whole, the whole word assume I'm going to throw out of the dictionary. But, you know, just for argument's sake, if the Ivy League said, you know, we just can't, we have got Columbia, we've got these schools, we just can't, we can't be on the field in September, but the Power Five is ready to go, you know, is that – tenable that there could be conferences that play and conferences that don't or do you think the NCA is going to say it's all or none like I don't I don't know how the NCA thinks about kind of I know we've never faced this before but like conference certain conferences and other conferences I know that's a hypothetical but like is there any rules or or, or, or basis around that issue my shortcoming is whether it was my undergraduate program or my graduate program I skipped the day they taught this class and, and yeah. I swear I didn't see it in the textbook. So Larry used the, the metaphor of crossing the bridge. I mean, we're literally building the bridge as we cross. And as we're hanging over the river, we're writing the manual as we go on how to use that bridge. And, and that just has to be understood. If you look back to basketball, the Ivy League made a decision that didn't determine our direction at the time. And you could reverse that to say if somebody made a decision in another part of the country, yet we had 14 healthy campuses ready to go, could we play football? We could. Now, yep. again, we're in the hypothetical land. So what do all those dynamics look like? We don't know, but we're going to rely on, on making sure our universities are, 
are, are back and functioning and we've got the right health and safety opportunities. And uh, we've got some time to figure that out candidly. So maybe a, a great way to end this is just to talk about, you know, given that the crisis we're sort of all suffering through without any kind of known ending, how does it impact kind of overall corporate, your collegiate, you know, corporate strategies? You guys think out over the next several years, is this changing your planning? Are, are you thinking things differently? Like just give us a high level view of like how this is affecting what you were going to be doing and, and planning versus what you're doing now. Yeah, well, all of our all of our schools have gone into a planning mode they've never never envisioned. Um, having a plan from um, you know business as close to usual as possible to you know more significant impacts, um, and I think it's a chance uh, long term. You know, very bullish. Uh, obviously, on college sports, I think in some respects uh, it may be that much more more dear and valued to our fans and and helpful to folks, but. Um, um, uh, I think it's it's going to be a time of introspection, a lot of discussion, challenging some historical assumptions, and I think there's going to be some out of the box thinking and reprioritization, and people doing things differently uh, than they did them before. It's certainly going to happen on the expense side. It's happening right now. Our athletics departments are you know suffered a financial hit already this season with a loss of. March Madness, $800 million of revenue uh, that went away, plus conference tournaments impacted. And there will be an impact uh, next year, uh, even in a best case scenario, uh, given the impact on, on individuals and their ability to donate and support their programs and, and ticket sales. So our schools are having to take a step back, uh, revisit. Re because the, the gate revenue is meaningful in the scheme of things or not really? Like if very, there weren't oh, fans. Very, very meaningful. Yeah. Very meaningful. Um, it's a part of, of the puzzle and donations associated with that ticket revenue. And I, uh, I, I agree with Larry. In fact, my first meeting of our senior leadership team and then our first full staff meeting, I said there are, are three phases right now. One is what's immediately in front of us. What do we have to do? And then you think about next year. So the, that's the second bucket. How do we prepare for next year? And then with this space we have, and I, I, don't, I haven't had much space. I don't think Larry has. It's been actually in some ways busier now than if we were in normal operating mode. But we have to spend and allocate time to vision and strategy. Because one of the first things I said in that senior leadership team gathering was, "We will come out of this, and it will look different." Now we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna focus on our fundamentals because I think our fundamentals were are, were strong, are strong, and will continue to be strong. But we cannot lose sight of that vision, and that's the, the adjustments Larry made. I, I agree with those discussions will happen, and and how do we adjust? How do we support our universities, maybe even more effectively from an athletic side, uh, whether it's communication, presentation, or invitations in? So that the, that our campuses remain vibrant, vibrant places and vibrant part of our our states and our local communities. I think just the last best way to end it is, um, which conference is going to win the CFP this year? Oh, uh, it's ours. So I I put the trophies <laughs> in the background there. I wasn't doing that to. There's three. When it comes to this question, the SEC has been a little bit greedy as of late, but we're due. <laughs> Watch out. We're hungry. Well, well look, I, I want to just say thank you. We've had, a, uh, we've had a great discussion over the last hour. You both were very generous with your time to be willing to do this. On behalf of Walt Pysik, Brandon Ross, just want to say, Greg and Larry, thank you for your time. Uh, be safe, be healthy. I think we're all, and I'm sure everyone listening to this is rooting 
for college football in the fall with fans. Um, uh, you know, I, I don't even think it's fingers crossed. I think we're all just sort of praying that, that we can get back to reality at some point and appreciate the perspective and um, be safe and healthy. Absolutely. Stay healthy, everyone. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks.